We're going to beginning, be beginning in chapter 4, four verse 11. Good grief, I can't talk either. And some things I want to point out just real quick leading into this. And we've gone over this, so I don't want to rehash it very long. When you get into the book of Ephesians, you're dealing with two main points. Here's what you need to know about what God did for you in Jesus. And here's how you live in the power of what God did for you in Jesus. Only two sections, that's it. The first one we would call doctrine. That's not a stuffy or dirty word in any sense of the, of the, of the way. It's a good word. It means teaching. It's what we need to know. It's how we need to begin thinking about life, eternity, reality, all of these things. But then the question is, is how do we live it out? And one of the great problems we make in church is we try to live out a good life, but we do it separated from doctrine. It's usually with, this is how I think things ought to be. My best ideas on my best day are still the absolute worst before the Lord. So it's got to come through the filter of God and his word, and it has to be based off of what Christ has done, not anything that I can do. So when he branches into chapter 4, verse 1, he says, we got to walk worthy of this calling. We've just talked about three chapters of calling that you've been given, and specifically that we are God's grand inheritance when it's all said and done with. That's a lofty, lofty position. But recognize this, it's not a lofty goal. We already have the goal given to us. Our job is to walk in light of the goal already being reached in Christ. Or let me say it this way. Living for Jesus means you're not working for anything. It means that you're living in everything he died to supply for you. I'm reading a great little book. Do I have it up here? I don't. It's called The Way of Deliverance by Evan Hopkins. It's a great little book. I think you can get it pretty cheap. Little short chapters. Little wonderful things to think about. About how important it is to know that you already have everything that you need in Christ. And anything that God would ever ask or call you to, He's already freely provided to you in the death and resurrection of His Son. You have it all. It's all yours. Or to keep with consistent language of Ephesians, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. They are yours completely. So there's nothing to earn and there's everything to live. So the first things he tells us is, is we've got to have a humble attitude with one another. It's always communal, one another. We've got to strive for this unity that he died to secure for us. Spiritually, we're perfectly unified. Practically, mm, we need a little bit of work and polishing, and that's okay. But then he moves in and he says that apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers have been given for the equipping of the saints for the work of service or ministry. In other words, every good thing that the church would ever do, the church is to do. And it's the job of pastors and teachers and evangelists to equip you with teaching and doctrine so that you can then operate the ministries of the church based off of that truth. And what happens? Well, the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge... Epinosis. Thank you so much, Sue Hall. I appreciate that. The joke. The deep understanding, the mature knowledge of Christ. 
growing up. That's what God desires for the church. If God wants anything, God's earthly goal for Grace Bible Church is that we would grow up. That's what he wants. You ever said that to somebody in like a pejorative way? You need to grow up, right? Okay, maybe you say it to your husband. Yeah, I have, <laughs> every day. I'm sure. <laughs> to a mature man. Keep reading, Jay, keep praying. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood. Sorry, we already did that one. Why is that slide in there? Stop. Okay. As a result of growing up in mature manhood, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Why? Because that will cramp your growth. By trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but... This is the way you do it. Check this out. Because there's going to be everything that revolves around this statement and everything we're going to see is going to have a verbal connection of some point in how we talk to each other as the body of Christ. But speaking the truth in love, that's where you've got to start. We are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. Who's that? Y'all, according to the proper working, you got to do it God's way. You can't just do it your way. You got to do it God's way. Of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself, again, in love. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If or since, indeed, you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, who you used to be, your old man before you came to Christ, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted. It only gets worse. Your flesh, even though you're a believer, only gets worse. Which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Let me give these to you. One. Two, and put on the new self. Three, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood. Everybody tracking with me? Okay, here it is again. Speak the truth, each one of you. How should I do this? In what? In love. Each one of you with his neighbor. For, here's the reason why. We are members of one another. We're all part of the same body. Be angry, yay, and do not sin. No. Everybody got that? Important. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Handle it in a timely manner. Because if you don't, you will give the devil an opportunity. You open the door. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that 
He will have something to share with one who has need. And let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. And remember, the word edification means building up. Building up others according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. There's everything to be said about what comes out of our mouths. And as someone who has a big one, let me tell you that's really important. Now, notice that God, through Paul, is giving some, you used to be this, you're now this. So we're going to see a lot of contrasting that's going to go on from this point forward. And the reason is, is because he wants to paint the dark backdrop so we can see the diamond of the Christ life as it truly is. Notice here, remember, this is what it looks like for the joints to be working properly. So he's painting a picture for us. Now we venture into verse 30. Hmm, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If you don't have a New American Standard Bible, what is that first word that's missing? Who has an ESV? How many of you have your Bibles open? Okay, just making sure. But everybody's using the New American Standard. Okay, what is the first word there in verse 30? And. Do you realize that in all the Greek scripts that I looked at, that word and is there? It's the word chi. And it means and. And for some reason, it has been omitted from the New American Standard Bible. Now, I had a little session in my office when I realized that because I was so upset by that. Why would this version that seeks to be a word-for-word translation omit this? I mean, it's not, is and controversial? Is it? No. Let me ask you this. If I told you, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? Have you ever been in a Bible study where somebody's thrown that out? Well, we do not want to grieve the Holy Spirit. By itself, do you know what that means? Well, sin obviously is the way to do it. But here's the interesting thing about the Greek word chi and the reason why it's included in text and should be included in this text. In fact, I would say, and God's not going to care, he's totally cool with it because he wants you to be accurate with his word, take your pen and write, verse 30 there, write in A and D. It ain't going to kill nothing, and if you check all the other word-for-word translations, they all have it there. There's nothing wrong with that. You can write in your Bible, God still loves you, it's not going to hurt anything, okay? Here's the reason why, is because and is a connective that's been put in in order to give equal weight to what is said before and what is said after. This is the reason why this is our memory verse. Pull it out again and think about it. Look what it says. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Does anybody know what this word unwholesome means? It means putrid. It means rotten. It's the idea of garbage that's been out on the street for a long time. It's the idea of when you forgot to take out that trash. Maybe when you were a single guy, you knew it was time to wash the dishes because the maggots had run out of things to eat. 
making sure everybody's tracking with me today. Jay laughs because he knows. Okay? Don't let any foul word come out of your mouth. If something's going to proceed past your lips, make sure that it lifts up another person. Make sure that your goal in speaking, and and here's what's interesting about this, is it automatically implies that we've got to think about what we say before we say it. Notice that Paul is teaching us to be a good steward of our mouth. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Isn't that what Jesus taught? Notice that sometimes instead of being so quick to maybe give an answer or to speak into a situation, maybe there needs to be some prayerful contemplation that goes on here. Why is that? Kai, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Because rotten speech grieves God. Because when what comes out of our mouths is meant to cut people down, is meant to get the upper hand, to have an upper edge. And it doesn't matter if it's something that is striking at the root of somebody else's being to bring them down, or it's the fact that we're just exalting ourselves in pride. I guarantee you that the edification is not for us to be self-edifying. That's why we have the body of Christ. This is one of the mistakes we make in church. Is when we show up on Sunday mornings, we show up in such a way as to where we're looking for somebody to edify us, and if they don't, we end up trying to edify ourselves, or our Christianity is ours only, and we exist in this little narrow box, and if I don't get built up, then I'm going to be mad and take my cookies and go home. That's a bad way. That's not reflective of the community of the body of Christ, but if I come looking to build up you, I can guarantee that God's going to make sure that I am encouraged along the way. God's way up is down. It always is. Hey, what are you guys talking about over there? You're talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven when you come into your kingdom? It's going to be me? No. Because whoever would be the greatest at that time must be a servant of all. That's very much in the tongue. It's the same thing here. If we're not thinking consciously about God-glorifying speech coming out of our mouths before it ever touches that person, you are in the thick just grammatically by the inclusion of that word which should be there. You are in the thick of grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Now here's the amazing thing. Where does the Holy Spirit dwell? Super personal, isn't it? It's very personal. Notice, he gives us almost a reason why we shouldn't. By whom? It's the Holy Spirit who sealed you for the day of redemption. Notice this, that that's future. Remember, this idea of sealing is the idea that the Holy Spirit is a deposit within us that when our life is over and we are redeemed, At that moment, we are either snatched up in the rapture, we pass away either way. It's the idea that the Holy Spirit is going to be a guarantee that God will fulfill what he has promised to do for us. 
if he's decided to deposit himself within you, don't let your vocal cords pain him. In fact, it says here, some of the things I looked at, sorrow, pain, distress, for the spirit to be vexed or irritated or offended within us. Why? Sometimes we forget the Holy Spirit is a person. So before our speech has ever offended the person that we've got in our crosshairs, recognize that it's already vexed the Holy Spirit before it made it out of our mouth. This requires incredible, profound humility. This is probably why we're told in chapter 4, verse 1, walk worthy of the calling in all humility, in lowliness. Let's do a quick litmus test. Close your eyes. You can trust me. I don't have anything to throw, okay? Who in this room is better than you? Don't answer out loud. Who in this room right now is better than you? If you've left anyone off that list, there's an area of pride present. Open your eyes. I only did that so we didn't see anything visible with each other. Consider one another better than yourself. You know what that means? That when we stack up all the building blocks, my block is on the bottom. In fact, can you imagine what a church would look like if because of the love we have reflecting upon what Jesus did for us, we just sought to outdo one another. We would be some of the most obnoxious people ever in a glorious way. Is your heart interested in being gloriously obnoxious for the Lord? You see what I'm saying? Our world doesn't teach us this. Our world teaches us, look out for number one. Our world teaches us it's all about you. Our world teaches us how to parade rights. Our world teaches us that if we don't come out on top and if the spotlight isn't on us and if we don't get looked at in a certain way, then it didn't matter. And everything is built through some sort of superficial mode of achievement. Here's the amazing thing about that. God doesn't care. God is more concerned if what the words are coming out of my mouth will build up the people around me. Why? Because if not, He is grieved over that. Notice that we are sealed for the day of redemption. He keeps the future in mind. Now, look with me real quick at the screen. Let's go back in our DeLorean and check this out. In Him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, when we believed... We were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, a down payment or a deposit with a view to the, there's our word again, redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. So when we speak, recognize the future implications of what we're doing. The interesting thing about sealed, it implies two things. Number one, it implies ownership. 
if you've been sealed, imagine somebody's writing up a letter, they fold it up, they put it in the envelope, they put it over. And of course, we don't do this today. Praise the Lord for the little thing that you pull off and just stick them. Praise the Lord for those things. Any of you ever got glue mouth from that? It's amazing what brides will go through to get those invitations out, right? You know? Hey, we sent out 300 invitations, but you're yakking in the corner. That's crazy. But anyway, pulling off and sealing it. Well, back then, they would drip the wax over the top of it, and they had a seal, either on a ring, or they had something that was, I don't know, like this. And it would leave the impression, and when the person who it was addressed to would receive it, they automatically understood where ownership was involved. There was no confusion about where it came from. They didn't even have to open it up and see the yours truly, blah, blah, blah. They didn't have to see that. So if the Spirit says anything in our sealing, number one, we need to recognize that we're owned by somebody else. Number two, it's an idea of security. What can take you out of God's hand? If the Spirit has sealed you, do you realize that to lose your salvation, He would have to unseal you? That's not what the Holy Spirit does. We're never threatened with being unsealed by the Holy Spirit. So we have this security, and it returns to our calling, the very thing that God is excited about. Back to verse 18 of chapter 1. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Why? So that you would know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and us. We are God's inheritance. And so the ceiling has everything to do connected with that. And when you put practical legs on it, it has everything to do with every word that comes out of our mouths. So, let's fix it. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Uh, I'm going to skip over this for the sake of time. If you want to look at that, Romans 8.23, very interesting about our redemption. You can look over that. I don't want to get into that right now. Now notice this. Let all bitterness, let's number these, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, be put away from you with all malice. Let's go through this real quick. Number one. Notice that let is passive. Let it happen, right? The Beatles named their album Let It Be, not Be. Right? It's passive. That connect with anybody? Great. Thank you, Faith. All y'all? Probably holier than I am. That's okay. Let all bitterness, which tells me that if I make an attempt to do this, I'm in trouble. This is something that needs to happen, but I can't play a part in it. See, this is interesting. Because oftentimes when we're faced with some of the sins of our Christian life, we want to develop a tactical battle plan in order to work our way out of it and the things that we need to do. So we get a rubber band on our wrist and we pop ourselves every time that dirty word comes out. Oh my gosh! You know what you end up with? Bruised wrist. The mouth never gets better because you can't tame the tongue. I got to get my mouth under control. Pause. The greatest thing you can ever do is recognize that that lead is passive and come to the conclusion, I can't. That's where success begins. 
knowing that I can't deal with my mouth is the first place to start. It's all in the context of unwholesome speech. Because these are the things that happen inside that manifest themselves through the mouth. Let's deal with each one of them. The first one, bitterness, sharp, intense resentment. You know what bitterness is? Bitterness is a problem that's been sitting there for a long time. It is something that we got angry over, but we didn't deal with it in a timely fashion. And the devil got in there and said, let's take this like Play-Doh and let's mold this anger into bitterness. Because we refuse to deal with it. And so we've become a bitter person. Welcome to Grace Bible Church. We're glad that you're here. I promise you, visitors are not interested in our puckered presence, okay? We ain't got to be like that. But the thing is, is get this, we don't all of a sudden become up with a battle plan of how we get unbitter. That's not what it does. It's something that we've got to let happen. Okay, we'll get to it in a second. Number two, wrath. Intense anger that is accompanied by outbursts. In other words, it's not just being upset about something, but I have to verbalize what it is. It's all connected to the mouth. Anger. Now, here's what's interesting about this, because this is the exact word that Paul used previously when he said, be angry. But yet I'm supposed to let all anger be put away from me. How do we make sense of that? Here's how we make sense of it. All of this is reflective of the old man. He's still dealing with this compare and contrast of not being like pagans. Why? Because we were pagans. We were pretty good at being pagans. We had a lot of work at being pagans. We'd invested pretty heavily in being pagans. And gosh darn it, somebody should have gave us a degree because that's how good we were at being pagans. It's comfortable. We know how to deal with those situations even with the best of our intentions because we've been there before. We've worn those shoes. They're broken in. We know exactly what to expect when we slip them on. But being set free from slavery and being told, he who has set you free, you're free indeed, that's some scary ground. Because to fall back on those things is to say the freedom that I've been set free into will not work in this situation. We have a a word for that. It's called unbelief. I believe that this situation in particular in my mind and heart is so segregated from Christ that he can't touch it and make it in a better way. That's dangerous. That's dangerous because what you're telling me is is that Jesus doesn't know, Jesus doesn't understand. So notice this. This wrath, this anger, and not only that, clamor. Clamor is a fun word. Sounds like a card game you play. That's clabber. Anyway, moving on. A shouting cry out or quarreling. They actually developed this Greek word. It's the word krog. And you got to say it like that. And the reason is, is because it's a word that they formed to describe this emotional outburst based on the sound that crows make. Stop acting like a crow. Let all crowness be removed from you. It also says slander. Do we know what slander is? Yeah. In fact, here's what's interesting about this word. This is what it is. In the Greek, blaspheme. 
Notice it's all verbal. Blaspheming. What does he tell us needs to happen? It needs to be put away. Why? Because it's connected to the old man and that's not who you are anymore. You're not that person. And let's go ahead and say this. You don't even know that person anymore. That was another life. That was another world. That was another way of thinking. And it's gone. You've been set free. Now it says here also, along with malice. And malice, some of your translations might say, wickedness. It is wickedness. It is abuse, abusive speech. It is if your desire, your goal in talking to somebody is that when you walk away, you have injured them thoroughly. It's verbal injury. All of this is to be put away and we have to let that happen. Here's a question. How do we do that? Who do you have working for you? The Holy Spirit. I know this is a real basic idea, but I want to say it out loud so that we all can agree to it. God is for you. Christ died for you. And if God is for you because he loved you, and Christ died for you because he loved you, I'm going to bet that the Holy Spirit is not odd man out on this one. Because the Holy Spirit is the power of God. And if he resides in every one of us, and God saw fit in his grace to deposit him as a seal in every one of us, that tells me that he wants to root out all the mess that we used to cling so fondly to. Well, guess what? If the Holy Spirit's working in my favor, I just got to let him do this. You know what that prayer looks like? God, there is no way ever that I as a person could get rid of bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor and slander and malice. And I know that it needs to be put away from me because that's who I used to be and that's not who I am now. Please do this. And you put that request in his hands repeatedly and you leave it. And let the Holy Spirit grow you out of it. It's not flipping a switch. It's not a 12-point program. It's not, I need a new philosophy on life. None of that stuff. None of that works. It is letting God have his way in his people. Now, here's what I love is, is he now turns and he gives us an imperative. Be kind. Be kind. Cause no discomfort for those around you. You ever gone to shake that person's hand at church when you see him? He's like, man, this is real uncomfortable. What just happened? I hope not. Be kind. Is your motive in talking to other believers in the body of Christ kindness first? You say, well, I, I can't do it that easily. Pause. This is where it's different. You can't. How do I know that? Because all the bad things, the pagan things that need to be gone away, the Holy Spirit's going to remove those in His time. But everything we need to live, the Christ life is in us now to do it. God is not ever going to ask anything of us that He hasn't already supplied us with everything thoroughly to do. He's just saying, use what I've given you. Put these things in place and get going. I'm not going to use the zombie apocalypse illustration, okay? I promise. But for those of you that know it, that's the case. Don't get eaten by zombies. Load up that weapon and go. Use what God has given you. Be kind to notice the body. Be kind to 
one another. Let me ask this question real quick. I'm going to take a drink of coffee. I'm going to let all of you look around at each other. Look around at each other. Y'all look good. I get to see you a lot. Look around at each other. Go ahead. It's good. I know it's weird. You can smile. You can give that bitter guy a face. It's okay. Look around. Do you know everybody in this room? For those of you that have brothers and sisters in your family, do you know them? Everybody see a problem there? Why do we not know all of our brothers and sisters in this room? When Mary Ann says, take the time to greet somebody you don't know. I found that we're greeting everybody we do know. And the people that you don't know are like, they don't know what to do. Why? Nobody's greeting them. I haven't met one person in this room that's not lovely. I'll tell you that. Maybe I haven't met all of you. I don't know. But at least to me and to my face, and if you're lying, the Holy Spirit knows, but at least to me and to my face, fantastic. Be kind to one another. One another. Notice it's an internal, inner-focused body of Christ thing. Not only that, be tender-hearted. Oh, man. You know what this is? Compassion. I don't know of one single person that couldn't use more compassion in their life. We all could. Are we compassionate to our brothers and sisters? Having sympathy for them. In fact, let me say this. With these two things here. If we have every spiritual blessing in Christ, the least that we should be to one another is kind and compassionate. At the very least. Why? Because we are all sharers in the life of Christ. And we all have the same Holy Spirit indwelling us. And we've all been sealed for the day of redemption. And we've all been given the supernatural endowment and power in order to live a life that is beyond the pagan mindset. So all we've got to do, if we take off the old man, get our minds renewed in this truth and put on the new man, we should not have a problem being kind and compassionate to one another. Here's the one that kills the conversation immediately. Forgive each other. Forgiveness. I would give people copies of Neil Anderson's book, The Bondage Breaker. Don't agree with everything in it. A lot of things he brings out in that book are really, really good things. And when people would get to the chapter on forgiveness, they would stop. And they would hand the book back to me and they would say, I'm not reading this. In fact, if I gave it out to 25 people, maybe one person made it past that chapter. Now I'm going to guess, and maybe it's a wrong one. I hope that it is. I'm going to guess that deep within the recesses of each individual in this room, there is a closet corridor of unforgiveness somewhere. 
There is a place where we have stored hurt for years. We often refer to them as skeletons in the closet. Something that somebody did to us and we usually classify it under this heading. That is unforgivable. Now let me say this. By no means ever could any one person begin to sympathize or empathize on a level of pain that other people cause. So when you say, you don't know how I feel, all I can say is you're right. My pain is much different than yours. It's a different ballgame. And it doesn't make it any less real just because I can't identify with it. But what I also know is that while we may be angry about an injustice that came our way and we didn't deal with it in a timely manner and maybe it became bitterness and it ended up rooting in unforgiveness, for all the reasons that we would ever give, one thing I certainly know is that is not God's way. As much as we feel justified and entitled to hold on to it like a billy club that we love to mentally whack that person who tore up our lives or those people or whoever it is. See, we don't talk about these things because it's too painful, because we don't want people to know. What I love about Paul is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he cuts to the chase. He knows it's in there. He knows we deal with that. Some of you might be like, you know what, I love everybody. That's great. I hope hope we can all get to that point. I was at odds with a brother in Christ for seven years. Seven years. He had done some things to me that just made me madder than the dickens. And I don't even have better words to put on that. I just grabbed him right then in that moment. He really got my goat. But when I saw him at the beginning of December when I went to Texas, and I've been praying about it for a while, Because it eats you. It devours you. And it spits you out. And we don't realize it, but it creates a wall that cannot be dealt with in human means. And I saw him off in the distance and I walked up to him. And as he turned and looked at me, I had nothing else to say except I'm sorry. I didn't know what to say. And he kind of hung his head. He said, man, I'm so sorry too. And we hugged like two little schoolgirls right there in the middle of that thing. You know. Because that had nowhere else to go. It was just going to keep digging deeper, hollowing out more ground, and taking over more of my life that needs to be put in the Lord's hands. But it's this verse that prompted something's got to change. Parents, teach this to your kids. My boys know this verse. They don't fully understand what it means yet, but good grief, they're going to use it. Forgiving each other. Again, notice it's body-wide. Now here's what's 
amazing because, let's be honest, in our good, pious, and awesome way, we look for the wiggle room to get out from under what God told us to do. Okay? Where can I sweep this bunch of dirt? Which rug can I use? Not talking about me. Ha ha! Guess what? He's talking about every one of us. So he gives us an example. And he uses himself. God puts it squarely on his shoulders. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Now, there are astounding ramifications if we think through this real quick. Number one, who do I need to forgive? Probably wouldn't hurt you to get out one of those pieces of paper. In fact, get you one that's got a whole lot of pieces of paper. You might find out you fill it up real quick. Number two, I will say this. Forgiving somebody is not about necessarily going to them, but they receive it. There's some people that are absolutely unapproachable about forgiveness. You can't help what they do. You can help what you do to the Word of God or with the Word of God. So we have some sort of responsibility just for no other reason to not be grieving the Holy Spirit and have harmony in our own body here to be forgiving. Sit down and pray about it. The Holy Spirit will bring the people to your mind to write down, I promise you. You might find that those people are dead and gone. Guess what? You still need to forgive them. Neil Anderson says it this way. Unforgiveness is like you swallowing a poison pill, but then you're just waiting for the other person to die. People are jerks. People are mean. People are selfish. People are insanely sinful. But that was not our goal. In fact, that ain't even our business. That's not even our direction. Our direction is one, forgiveness. First thing, forgiveness is truthful. Clearly state what the wrong is. I'm mad at Schmitty because he broke my piggy bank and he stole $120. Let's give you an example. Be incredibly clear about what it is that happened. In fact, all speech within the body of Christ is to be like that. Didn't we see that earlier? Look what it says. Laying aside falsehood. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't set it to the side. Don't kind of just... We love, to, we love the outer ends of the bullseye, don't we? Of the dartboard. We love that outside area. Nail it. Nail it. Thank you, Lord. Squarely communicate what exactly has happened, whether you're talking to that person or whether you're just dealing with it on your own. Get real about it so that you can thoroughly deal with it. But any bit of falsehood is not to be in us anymore. Why? Because that's how pagans deal with hurt, not how believers deal with hurt. 
Not only that, the common objection I hear, you don't understand, they don't deserve it. You're right, they don't. They don't. There's not one person on the face of the earth that deserves forgiveness. Isn't that the beauty of the gospel? I'm a sinner, not just by constitution, by action. Everything I do is wrong. And I am deserving of nothing but an eternity of conscious torment in the lake of fire forever. And then God saved me by paying the price for my sin that I could never pay. And His Son screamed out, paid in full, and set me free. And my certain destiny has been permanently and eternally averted. That is the grace of God. Not for one moment would any person dare say, you know what, I deserve to not have that end. If that's the case, you don't understand the gospel. The gospel is about the outpouring of the blood of Christ for people paying a debt they could never pay, dying in my and your place. So no one deserves forgiveness. The common objection is I won't forgive because they don't deserve it. Recognize this. You're telling the truth. But no one does. This is why we're clearly given forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You know what the amazing thing about God was? He never needed forgiveness. All he did was give forgiveness. How much have we offended God? Can you put a number on that? Can you measure that? What size of vat do we need to have created in order to put all of the bad things we've done in there to measure how much we've offended God? Can you do that? Now let me ask you a question. How much has He forgiven us? Whatever measurement that is, it's greater than the offense that we've done. Does everybody see that? So yeah, nobody deserves it. No one does. That's all the more reason to give it. Why? Because I'm desiring to do what God told me to do. Not what my mind tells me to do. Not what my heart tells me to do. This is the reason why we're told that the heart is desperately wicked. Number three, stop being surprised by sin in the body. You're not going to believe this, but such and such said this. Yeah, I believe it. Why? Because such and such has this long history with sin that's not easily shaken. As do I as does anyone in the body of Christ. Does it hurt? Good grief, it hurts. Doesn't make it any less painful. But not being so... Well, I thought they were a Christian. They are! And they still need Christ! So why don't we mirror the work of the Lord? And look to come to a common resolve about this and forgive that person. Then we go back to number two. Well, they don't deserve it. And neither do you. And neither do I. How about the last one here? Forgiveness must be unconditional. I'm so thankful to know that when I die and stand before the Lord, He's going to be like, yeah, Jesus died for your sins, but... Maybe not that one. 
if Jesus left one sin uncovered, how are you going to do in eternity? Is everybody asleep? Is this boring for you? Okay. Just want to make okay, okay, just making sure. Okay, okay. Man, guys, thank you. <laughs> Love him. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God and Christ also has forgiven you. Here's the objection. I can't. We give our justifications. You don't know what that person did to me. You're right. But recognize, this is a very popular wall that we love to build. I can't forgive that person. We're not reading Scripture, are we? What does it say? Forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. If He forgave me unconditionally, do you recognize He's not asking anything of you in the Gospel except believe what He's done for you? All the cost, all the way that God was put out, He paid for. The Gospel is free to us because it cost God a lot. It cost Him the life of His Son. So all necessary work, right there. Nailed, bleeding, crying out. People are gambling for his clothes while he's taking his last breath. And that's what God was willing to pay in order to set us free. And we dare sit here and say that that person has a sin that we can't forgive? Stop for a second. We are not having an eternal perspective on this situation. And we're not recognizing the strength and beauty of the gospel in our lives that set us free, completely, unconditionally. In fact, get this. We wouldn't know what real forgiveness is if God wouldn't have done it. Does that make sense? We would not have a clue what that is. You say, I can't. Wait a second. What does Scripture say? You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Yes? In Christ. Forgiveness is spiritual before it's anything. What do you see in the world about forgiveness? Anything? It's all about grudges. Good grief, I'm so sick of hearing Trump and Biden and la, 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 la. And it's all like, I hate you and you did this and your mother smells bad and all this stuff. And you sit here and you're just like, what? Why is this a show? Because it is a show. But have you noticed? Forgiveness is not being taught. Forgiveness is not being promoted. Humility is not a valuable commodity in this world. But that's because that's how the old man thinks. Not people who have been renewed by the Word and put on the new man. The second thing is, is recognize this. God chose us, verse 4 of chapter 1, to be holy and blameless in Him in our love. You know what that means? Love has got to be exercised in a communal way. I can do it. I just refuse to accept what the Scripture says about forgiving that person. There's a word for that. It's called unbelief. So then he strikes us at this, and this is where we branch into 5.1. And whoever that guy was on horseback that all of a sudden put in the chapters and verse numbers, he messed this one up. They're not divinely inspired. There shouldn't have been a break here. 
he moves right on into it. Look what he says. Therefore, thank you. Notice how the therefore connects it to the previous thought. Be imitators of God. Does that sound like a lofty call? Notice it's not saying be God. It's saying watch how God works with people and imitate that. How does God work with people? What did he say? Go back up here. Forgiving each other just as. How am I supposed to be an imitator of God? I'm to be an imitator of God in forgiveness. How? As his beloved children, which automatically has the idea of humility added on it. Can everybody see that? No. Boom. How's that? Better. There we go. In humility is the idea. And walk, here it is again, in love, just as, oh my gosh, Paul, stop doing that. Stop giving me clear pictures of what my life needs to look like in the new man. I would much rather it be ambiguous so that I have an excuse to not obey you. I'm just saying what you're thinking. Because we're looking for it. Y'all forgive this person, this person, last page, and I forgive that person. I just won't read Ephesians anymore. I know. Just as Christ also loved you, and he gave himself up. This is how we are to love. We are to love as Christ loved. Now pause. Does everybody see the correlation between forgiving as God did to us in Christ, imitating God in the middle, and then the idea of walking in love as Christ has loved us? Does everybody see how this all fits together in a nice package? How do I love you? I love you by being kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving you. I need to stop being surprised that you would offend me. I think you guys learned a long time ago to stop being surprised when I offend you. Because it happens. I may be the pastor here, but recognize this. I will let you down. It will happen. Do I want it to? No. In fact, I would wish for anything else but for that to happen. It would break my heart to disappoint. I'm not perfect. Neither are you. And I think the idea of coming to terms with our inadequacies makes it way easier for us to forgive one another and to live humbly and in love with one another. So just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, and notice it pictures this whole idea as Leviticus and Numbers gives us, an offering, a sacrifice, a fragrant aroma, God used to have the priest separate the fat out of an animal, set it to the side, set it on fire, and the smoke that would come up, he would say, this is a sweet-smelling aroma to me. And I'm thinking, if it ain't barbecue, I don't understand. Okay? I just don't. But God demonstrating for us these things that are pleasing. And notice what he's saying. As Christ was sacrificial for his love for you, what do you think those implications have for you and me today? What's he calling us to? He's calling us to be an offering. He's calling us to be a sacrifice. He's calling us to be a sweet-smelling aroma before God. 
How do you smell to the Lord today? Yep. I'm not talking about deodorant. Think about what it's saying here. If forgiveness is not the hallmark of Christianity, I don't know what is. We serve a bloodied Savior who did nothing wrong. And notice that this is rolling over into your life and my life. So when that brother or sister offends you, forgive them. Be compassionate towards them. Seek to not put any stumbling block before them. And that requires lowliness on my behalf. It requires me to be on my knees if that means exalting my brother or sister in Christ. Pay attention to this. You can't lead any other way. We don't charge forward on our feet. We go onward and upward on our knees. That's the God's way. God's way up is always down. It's always down. So forgiveness has got to be at the forefront of everything that's going on. Wives, are you holding anything against your husbands? Have that conversation and forgive them. Husbands, you got anything against your wife? Have that hard conversation. Forgive them. Why? Because God would want you to. Because God's Son died to make it possible for you to do this because the world doesn't care anything about forgiving. Forgiveness is supernatural. God's desire is never to prolong hate. I can't find one place in the Scripture where God ever said, you know what? Wait a while until you forgive that person. Really sock it to them, anybody? For some reason, that's a Christianity all of a sudden we find gravitating towards. Holding a grudge for a little while? (laughs) That sounds good. No. That's not what he did. Number two, remember this. Every sin has been covered by the blood. Whether or not someone has believed in Christ is a different thing. But the fact is, is when Jesus died, what sin did he not die for? He died for all of them. How about the last one here? Unforgiveness holds on to a sin that God doesn't. When you make the claim that you can't forgive that person or something that they did was unforgivable, you're actually treading on ground that God doesn't tread. Because God forgave every sin by the blood of Christ. This sin isn't special. Hurts uniquely? Yes. Affected you personally? Absolutely. Don't ever want to discount and take anything away from that. But it's not so unique that the blood of Christ could not drown it in a sea of forgetfulness. Never to be remembered anymore by the Creator of every person. This is why He doesn't let us have that wiggle room just as God in Christ forgave you. Let's finish this. If we need anything, we need selfless, humble, forgiving, and loving action in the body of Christ. In fact, I don't know if you noticed this, but all of these little ingredients that we've put together, if we put all that into a pot, you actually have this practical unity becoming a reality that he talked about earlier in chapter 4. Unity happens when I get myself out of the way, when I seek to be lovely, when I'm not holding your wrongs against you, and whenever I am seeking to love you. Let me give you a plain example. Brenda, I love you. Brenda hit my car. She backed right on up. Boom! Your nickname is Crash. If it wasn't, it is now. I love you. I don't care. It's okay. It's okay. 
Oh, that Brenda. Huh. Hit my car. Mm. Not visiting her if she goes to the hospital. And you would look at me and be like, what is wrong with you? Number one, everything. <laughs> but number two, in the grand scope of eternity, think about what Jesus did for on the cross. What does that matter? What does it matter? Nothing. That should never be a reason to break fellowship with people. To do this, we must, number one, take off the old man. When your heart wants to pull you in a way of sin and bitterness and anger and clamor and I refuse to forgive that person, live with your consequences on that, but recognize where it's coming from because it's not coming from God. Number two, after I take off that old shirt, I have got to get my mind renewed. What does the Word of God say about this? And once I understand what it says, then I need to put on this new shirt and do what God says. Let me encourage you right now. If you have anybody in this room right now, or anybody that you know of, that is not here today, but they're just coming to your mind because the Holy Spirit's boiling it to the surface, forgive that person. And if you need to have that conversation, have that conversation. But take the low road. Let that person go. Don't hold that over their heads and don't think you're getting in a few extra punches by remaining bitter about this stuff. It is stifling everything that Jesus desires to do in this body. And I guarantee you this, if you're holding on to it secretly, supernaturally, it's affecting every single person in here because we are all one body. If you are hurting in the thumb, then guess what? The pinky toe is hurting as well. That's how the body of Christ works. We may not know where it's coming from. But this is a situation that's got to be dealt with. God deals with it seriously. Let's follow His example and do it as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for dying for us. Thank You for making forgiveness possible. And thank You for making it possible that we can forgive others. Convict us where we need it. Open the door so that we have those opportunities. Thank you for a healthy prescription. It's in Christ's name, amen.